Amen. Well, welcome everyone. Hey, well, I'm glad to be here with you guys. My name is Stephen Rossi. I am the high school pastor here at First Baptist. Uh, it's an honor for me to be up here, uh, not only to be a part of this church in, in my role as the high school pastor, but to, to be uh, with you in opening the word today. I have at the top of my notes, because I forgot last time to dismiss the kids to children's church. So uh, instead of you waiting for another five or ten minutes, <laughs> bearing with me, kids, you are dismissed uh, to go to children's church this time. Uh, have fun with Pastor Tim. And uh, all the, the fun times you guys have out there. As they're leaving, um, I want to draw your attention briefly to the back of your bulletin. Um, I, I'm cheating a little bit because I'm not doing announcements, but since I'm up here, I'm taking advantage of uh, a little bit of announcement time. So on the back bottom, there is a thing that says uh, Spaghetti Youth Ministry Fundraiser Spaghetti Dinner. Um, at our church, we participate in uh, a few different camps and mission trips opportunities with our high school students and junior high students, um, and these things have become increasingly more and more expensive for anyone uh, who has a kid in youth ministry or children's ministry. Uh, can I get an amen on that? Amen. Yeah, uh, it's a little expensive. So we've been doing, uh, this church has done a phenomenal job before I got here at just you as a congregation valuing these students um, and giving them opportunities to make their own money and scholarships for Upward uh, to serve in, in Upward ministry. And also we're going to do something else later in the year like we have before to sell tri-tip tickets to raise money for themselves. But this is something we're doing different. Um, we're, this is not necessarily a, an opportunity for students to make money for themselves like the other opportunities are, but we want to um, bolster our scholarship fund so that we can uh, have a little bit more wiggle room to either subsidize the cost and make it easier for people who can't afford it to come and or um, give us a little bit of a freedom to invite some students who wouldn't normally come, um, who don't, aren't a part of our church and make our missions trips and our, our specifically our winter camp and our other camps available to some more people. So uh, we're going to be doing this fundraiser dinner um, catered here at, at the church on November 12th. And so there's opportunities for you to buy tickets and join us. We'll have some students share some of their stories about missions trips and, and camps. And it's just going to be a, a fairly simple but really fun night. So we would just love to invite you to join us and participate and partner with us in that. So that's it. I'm done with my announcements. Uh, I cheated a little bit, but that's all right. So today, um, I, I would apologize, but I actually think it's a good thing. I, I didn't put a bunch of scripture. There's a few up here. Um, I didn't type out or have um, a few people type out the scriptures for us and put it up on the screen. So what I'm going to ask you as we engage in a few different passages this morning, if you don't have a Bible, there hopefully should be one around you in the seat back in front of you. Grab a Bible. Um, We're going to be opening up into a few different passages in Acts chapter 27 and a couple more. Um, And so uh, I just invite you to grab a Bible right now if you don't have one, because I just would love for us to engage in, in scripture together, not just listening to me have my earthly wisdom, but hopefully uh, scripture would speak for itself. And so while you guys are grabbing that, um, let me just go ahead and pray one more time as we head into the word. Father God, we um, pause in this moment to invite you once again, as we know that you're always here, but to to ask, Lord, that you would would be so present in this service, that you would lead through your spirit to the hearts and minds of each person sitting in this room and in the gym, and, uh, and that, that hopefully I would, in some way, shape, or form, kind of sink to the back of the stage, and your word and your spirit would be the thing that people grasp to in the midst of what we talk about, in the midst of what your word brings to us, Lord. And so, God, we ask that you would lead us this morning, we ask that you would guide us, and that your word would shine through. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
So last week, um, we, we were in Acts chapter 26, um, and so Steve uh, had, had a nice little courtroom drama for us set up. And uh, I was really wanting to be on par with him and do like a Gilligan's Island style like intro this morning, um, but we, we're going to be talking about a shipwreck, um, and I just, I'm just not, I just can't do it like you, Steve. It's just, it's just too hard. They would just be like, you're trying to be Steve, and you're not, and so I just, I didn't try it, but um, maybe I'll have Ian sing a little Gilligan's Island theme song for us at the end or something. Thanks, buddy. Um, here's what we're going to do. So we were in Acts chapter 26 last week. So this week we are turning to Acts. Just kidding. Luke 8. Turn to Jack, Luke chapter 8 for me. Luke chapter 8. We will be in Acts chapter 27, but we're going to Luke 8 first. All right, here's what Luke 8 says. Luke 8, chapter 22. Let's read this. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind And the raging waters, the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This passage, you'll see in a second, and I've already told you briefly that we're going to be looking at this shipwreck and and a crazy storm in Acts chapter 27. And before we go into Acts chapter 27, I can't move on without having a little bit of, of, uh, kind of tell you a little bit where we're going. Because when I look at this scenario here in Luke chapter 8, we see this scenario where, where Jesus is with his disciples. It's a smaller boat, but the storm is still intense, right? There's pressure, there's chaos, there's craziness to the point where there's actual fear of death. There's fear of, there's there's a legit fear. Even though the disciples are with the Messiah, the one who's supposed to save all things, there's this legit fear that that things are going to be horrible. There's, There's a fear of death. And so when they wake Jesus, they ask Jesus, despite the crashing wind, the crashing waves, the chaos around them, they ask Jesus for help, and he, stand, he stands up and simply stills the storm by the words that he speaks. And yet, we're going to look on Acts chapter 27, a completely different scenario, a completely different ship in the Mediterranean Sea, a larger vessel in a massive storm being crushed by the waves, being lost for multiple days out into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea where they have no guide of where they're going, where they're coming from, what's going to happen with an equal fear of death and actually to a point where most of the people have lost all hope of even surviving this thing. But in this scenario that we're about to read, God doesn't stand up and still the storm. And as we head into this morning and, and read Acts chapter 27, there's just a part of me, um, maybe, maybe just emotionally burdened myself by some of the storms that I've been walking through in my life, um, but knowing without a shadow of a doubt that as we walk into a, a room like this and as lo- look at the faces around here, that there are plenty of you who are in the midst of life storms right now. And there are plenty of you who are sitting here just heartbroken over the things that you're walking through. 
and hurting because you're watching people you love go through hard things and you yourself are going through hard things and you're not sure where Jesus is in the midst of it and you're wanting so desperately for Jesus to stand up in the middle of your storm and and quell the storm to stop the storm just like he did with his disciples and simply speak and for it all to go away. I know that because I've been there and I'm I'm in those moments but, but we look at a scenario here and there and we realize that, that God doesn't always stop the storm. In fact, he allows some pretty bad things in the midst of the storm to happen. And so we, as Bible-believing Christians, have to look at this and we don't get to have this like kind of easy theology of like, oh, if I become a Christian, life's just easy. We, we actually have to look at the difficulties of, of some of the things that we walk through in life and, and, and ponder and wrestle and wonder where God is in the midst of it. So let's l- dive into, um, actually, sorry, before we go into Acts chapter 27, here, here's, um, I'm not going to have like a so what at the end of my message. I'm going to give you right now kind of the main point of where we're going because I want you to have this on the front of your minds as we read through Acts chapter 27. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 through 10. If you guys want to turn there briefly, I'll give you a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 through 10. And it says this. This is right before this, by the way, uh, Paul is talking about the thorns that he's been given uh, to not be prideful so that he doesn't boast too much or think too highly of himself. He's been given these thorns uh, that he's had to endure. And he asks God three times right before this, God, please, would you take away this thing that I'm dealing with? God, please, would you take this away? God, please, would you take this away? And this is God's response in verse nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul responds, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can I read that one more time? Because I I don't relate to this. (laughs) I don't know about you guys. But nonetheless, here it is. Verse 10, Paul says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We are entering, Acts 27 is a unique passage. It's very detailed. Luke goes into a lot of detail. But we're going to watch the storm, and and there's going to be some parallels to life. And granted, this is talking about a physical storm. But we're going to parallel this with with the storms of our lives today. We're going to look at the different, it sounds like a a little like daytime soap opera, the storms of our lives. Uh, But we're going to be paralleling this to, uh, to the things that we go through. We're going to look at Paul's interactions with the crew as a prisoner and all these things, and we're going to see that there's times where God stops the storm and there's times where he doesn't, but in the hardships, in the persecutions, in the difficulties, in the midst of the storm that God does not still, we see God's sovereignty come through. And I want you to look for that as we're reading. So Acts chapter 27, we're finally there. The first two things, why don't we put up the map up here so we get a little bit of a visual of what's happening. So last week, Steve talked about Acts chapter 26, where he's in trial, and he's not necessarily found guilty, but he's given this ability to sort of go to, uh, this is not 
in the Bible, but sort of like an appeals court to Caesar. Because he pulls the Roman citizen card, he is not tried or guilty at the moment, but he's, he said, oh, well, you get to go uh, plead your case with Caesar himself. And, and Paul knows on this journey that it's not about whether he's found guilty or not. He's just doing God's work, and he's going to go get an opportunity to speak to Caesar himself, the leader of the, the, free, the, the whole world at this time. And in the midst of this, Luke, who's writing Acts, goes into all this detail about what exactly is going on. And, and Acts chapter 27 is super intriguing because there's a lot of detail that I would have left out. But, but Luke, because he's so detailed, leaves it in there. He talks about how Paul is under the authority of a centurion named Julius and how he's, he's gained uh, favor with Julius and how Julius trusts him in different areas and how they're sailing multiple places. They're going up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea on the east side, up the coast, and they're going down over, uh, across Cyprus right there. And then they go up um, down to Crete. And most of what we read here today is going to be taking place right in, that, in the middle of the screen, that island of Crete right there. On the bottom of Crete is Fair Havens, and to the left is Phoenix. And we're going to be talking a lot uh, of, of, that's the context of where a lot of the stuff we're talking about today happens. So let's look at verse 9 here and read this together. I'm going to read it. You guys can read along with me. Acts chapter 27, verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we, we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Now, here's why this is important. This is, if you want to put the, the map back up there for me, sorry. Um, in, in the, in, back in this time, there was a normal trade route down from Italy down to northern Africa into Egypt and in this area. And so depending on the time of year that it was, if it was favorable sailing winds or the type of season of the year it was, it'd be really normal for these trade routes for people to navigate the waters going from Italy and, and the center of the world down just straight through the Mediterranean into Egypt and these different areas to trade their goods. The, the things coming out of, of Italy were pottery and, and art and all sorts of different things, metal work and different things that, that, were, um, that were, you know, the, the high, highest end of things because this is where the center of the world was. So these trade routes would come down into Egypt and then they would, they would go back. But depending on the time of year it was, this is why Paul mentions that the day of atonement has passed because he, he mentions what time of year this is. Because the time of year, they can't just sail straight back the way they normally would through the Mediterranean. So they find themselves, based on the weather, hugging the coastline because they're making sure that their ship, the ship won't won't uh, capsize. This ship, they first are on, they, they, they go to a different ship. You see the, at the bottom of the map right there, right at Egypt, there's a, a little port of Alexandria. There's a ship from Alexandria that they end up being on, and that's the ship that they find themselves at the, at the port of Crete. But here is the interesting part. When they're on this middle island, they go to the bottom of Fair Havens, and they're wondering whether or not they should winter there. And they get caught in the storm because... The centurion ends up trusting the wrong people. In verse 11, it says, But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Well, the pilot and the owner of the ship had vested interest in them moving on. Because if they harbored in a place where it's not meant for you to harbor in, the pilot and the owner are, are responsible to feed and, and uh, keep alive the 276 people who are on this vessel. 
But if they can make it just a little bit further, further to Phoenix, they can be in an actual harbor and the, and the ship owner and pilot don't have to feed and take care of them because the people can disembark and be within their, uh, an actual port. So this has a, a financial interest to it, not the actual best interest for the people. But Paul is trying to make the case, you shouldn't do this. So the first highlight we get here, the first fill in the blank that you guys can fill in is that sometimes how we get into storms, how we enter into the hard things of life sometimes is because we are trusting the wrong people. Sometimes we are trusting the wrong people. And this day and age, it is so hard to decipher who the right people are. With social media, with news outlets, with all these things, it is impossible. When I talk to my high school students, how to even teach them how to discern the voices, the multitude of voices that are coming at you with all the different information. And so we see here one of the ways that people get caught in the storms, that Paul gets caught in the storm, is because the, the right people listen to the wrong people. The other thing in verse 12, since the harbor was unsuitable in winter, the majority decided that we should sail on. So these two, the ship owner and these people, eventually pretty much didn't want to, but left it up to the majority of the people who had authority, and they followed the majority. So not only did they use a vested money interest into this thing, but they also let the majority rule. And another way that we often get into issues and storms in our life is when we simply and blindly follow the majority and where they're leading. Let me be clear, too, as we're talking about how we get into storms. Some of you are sitting here today, and you are, you are going through it. You are in the midst of a storm in your life right now. And I want to be really clear. Sometimes we get into storms because things just happen. It's not always our fault. In fact, oftentimes it might not be our fault. Sometimes it is, and there's consequences that we have to deal with because there are consequences in this world. But sometimes things just happen. And God and the Bible make it pretty clear that we live in a fallen world. And not all things that happen to us are caused by God or caused by us, but things just happen. So we read on in verse 13, in Acts chapter 27, verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow... They saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Citrus. Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day, the, uh, the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. It got to the point where they were just throwing everything off. The next fill in the blank, when we're in the midst of the storm, the problems in the storm, we can drift from our goals and values. We can drift from our goals and values. No longer was this ship about getting to where its destination was. This ship, at all costs, they were just doing whatever they could to survive. Because in the midst of this, what else would you do? The storm is raging so hard, no longer are you thinking about where you're headed. You're simply thinking about getting out of where you are. So we can drift from our goals and our values. 
But the next thing they did is they threw things off the ship that were the very purpose of why they were going. They threw off their cargo. They threw off their tackle. And tackle isn't necessarily fishing equipment. It's, it's the, the, the backup rudders and sails and things that if anything broke on this massive vessel carrying 276 people, that those are the things that they would use to, to replace it so these ships aren't just sitting dead in the water with no way to move. So this is important stuff that they're, they're getting rid of. This is life or death stuff. This is their last opportunity. They're getting rid of their most important things things. They're throwing out their most valuables. And they finally, in the midst of their storm, are headed toward despair. Luke writes, being on the ship with Paul, verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Again, this is, it's hard because as we look at Scripture, we don't want to immediately put ourselves in Scripture, right? Scripture is written for a specific context to tell us a story of what was happening to Paul. But as we're comparing and contrasting the realities of the storms that we're walking through and what Paul was going through, it's pretty clear that we do all the things that they just did too, right? When we're in the midst of a storm, do you guys drift from your goals and values? Do we throw things out that are most valuable to us? Do we sink into despair when we're in the midst of the storm? I I know that I do. That's my biggest temptation. I lose sight of everything that's important. I lose sight of even my faith at times of like, God, how could I I not know that you're going to come through in this? But for some reason, I doubt what it is that you're doing. I don't understand why you're not doing it the way I want you to. And I lose sight of all the things that are most important to me. We're going to dive into kind of the, the last big bulk of our, our passage here in Acts chapter 27. I'm going to summarize some of it so we don't have to read word for word, but let's read a few here, starting in verse 21, and we'll go from there. Acts chapter 27, verse 21, it says this, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said this, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Now, on, just to be clear, I don't think Paul is being like, I, I told you so. I mean, he might be, like, he should. I mean, he's, he, he definitely is, should be doing that. I think what he's actually doing is he's a prisoner. He doesn't have the authority to speak into the situation, yet somehow, because of his favorable position with Julius, he, he's being heard. And so what he's trying to tell him is, see, I do have credibility. See, I do have—I'm not trying to, like, tell you uh, I was right and you were wrong. What I'm trying to do is, see, like, tell you, see, I actually do have authority and credibility that maybe you should be paying attention to, even though I'm a prisoner on this ship. Verse 22, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So Paul clearly is giving them some sort of hope. He's speaking an experience where an angel obviously meets with him, confirms the promise back in Acts 23 where God tells him he's going to talk with Caesar. He's going to go to Rome. An angel confirms this promise and says, you are going to make it to Caesar. And if you do this, you're, all the people on the ship are going to be saved as well. These people listen to them, somewhat encouraged, but Throughout the, the next few passages here, they're taking, they're going slowly, they're taking soundings, they're worried that soundings, measuring the depth of the, the water because they're worried they're going to run aground at any point. In fact, at one point, the, the crew of the ship in verse 30, the crew of the ship attempt to escape the boat. 
And they take the life, they're starting to drop the lifeboat down on the side of the ship and they lie about it. They're saying, oh, we're going to drop anchor over on this side. And Paul stops them by telling the centurion, if they leave, if the crew of the ship leaves, we're all going to die. And the only way my promise comes true is if the crew stays here. So the centurions and the soldiers chop off the ropes and the, the lifeboat goes sailing away so that the crew can't just abandon the ship and all the prisoners on it to just to die. Verse 33 just before, Paul, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need, to, you need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate, ate some food themselves. Altogether, there was 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And again, finishing the job that they started earlier by their entire purpose, the thing that was going to fund this entire trip, the stuff that they got from the trades of Egypt and Alexandria, they're just throwing over to the sea. At this point, they go forward and they get stuck on a sandbar and run aground. They see a beach they're going to go try to run aground onto, but before they can get to it, their ship hits a sandbar, and it starts to break up. The ship is in shambles. The waves are crashing, and at this point, the soldiers—now, we're not talking about the crew anymore. The soldiers who are underneath the centurion with the prisoners, Paul being included, the soldiers come up with this idea that we should just kill all of the prisoners— and the reason for that is because in the Roman law, if you are a soldier and the prisoner that you are watching escapes— Whatever their punishment should have been, that is worthy to be cast on your shoulders now as the person who let that person escape. So rather than risking it of these, these people escaping as, as the ship um, breaks apart and, and the prisoners escaping, the soldiers are like, let's just kill them all. That way we don't have to incur the risk of taking on any of their debts. But only because Paul, in his good faith with Julius and the, the mission and the testimony that he offered in his relationship with Julius saved them. And Julius stopped the soldiers from killing them. In fact, made it a point to make sure everyone got to the island. They were grabbing hold of, of wood and kicking and swimming all the way to the island, and everyone survived, just like Paul had, had said. But the beginning parts of, of this little section, verses 21 through 26, we see the things that what, what Paul is trying to do and, and a parallel to our lives in the midst of the storms is what we should hold tight to. And the first one is this, is God's presence. God's presence. And the question I want to ask you guys is, is that you process that. And, and, and I don't know, when I, when I picture and, and think of the storms that I'm walking through or have walked through, knowing the depths of some of your lives and knowing how hard some of the things you guys are walking through, my, my question for you is, is the first reaction that you have when you're walking through the storms and, the thi- and everything is just seems to be exploding around you, chaos is, is ensuing, you don't feel in control of your life, is the first response that you have, is it to pursue God's presence or is it to pursue your own ability to get out of the storm? I, I, just my cards on the table, I pursue my own ability <laughs> every time. And it's not right. It's not wrong to pursue your own ability, but it is wrong to pursue your own ability if you don't follow God's presence, right? God's given you skills and abilities, but if that's the thing that you're rooting and putting your anchor in, you are not strong enough to get yourself out of every storm. You are not strong. There has to be something that we're putting our anchor in that's 
a firmer foundation than our own abilities and skills and, and interests. The second thing is God's purpose. The anchor that we must put our, our hope and our foundation in it has to have a, 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 a foundation of God's purpose. As much as Paul um, was in the midst of the chaos, he knew that he's been promised by God that he's going to see Caesar. He's going to get to Rome. He has a purpose far beyond just surviving this storm. His purpose was far bigger than that. And let me just quickly encourage you. Church, men and women, in this room in Lodi, do you think that it's an accident that you were alive in the year 2023, living in Lodi, in this space, in this time? I know some of you who are existential thinkers and like to think about this kind of stuff have probably thought about this a ton. Wow, why, like, why was I born here and not in the Middle East hundreds of years ago? Why was I born here at this time? Like, if we believe what the Bible tells us, it's because God specifically created you in your mother's womb for a time and place as this, to live a life with purpose. You are in this room, not on accident. You are in this room because God has put you here. If that doesn't encourage you, then what, I mean, what are we living for? It's not for your own ability. It's not for your own sake. It's because God has placed you here for something greater for himself. The last thing that Paul encourages here is God's promise. He says, I mean, it's the same thing. He, he, I've been told by the angel that we are going to make it. God promises me that we are going to make it. And, and while God doesn't promise us specifically in the Bible that we are going to get through every storm, the sad part is I can't promise you in good faith. I can't tell you from up here that you are going to get through every storm perfectly, that you are going to make it through everything, a hard trial without, without pain. In fact, some of you have gone through pain, lost loved ones, gone through hard things, gone through divorces, gone through really, really difficult situations in your life. And God didn't still the storm like he did with the disciples in the small boat in Luke 8. But the promises that he does offer is that at some point, we will have an eternity with him. Whether on this side of eternity or not, the promise is, is that we get to spend eternity with the God and all the things that you are walking through right this moment will be gone. Everything that you are holding on to, the loneliness, the despair, the hurt, the sickness, the pain, the uncertainty, everything, whether this side of heaven or not, will be taken from you and there won't be tears anymore. There'll be hope and joy and presence with God, celebration and excitement, life eternal with the one who created you for that purpose. That's exciting. And it doesn't get us through the storm always, but it does give us hope in the midst of the storm and for after the storm. Acts chapter 28. I don't get to finish this series, but I do get to preview this next chapter. I got 10 verses, and then Steve's going to finish, finish in the series next week, right? Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. We're just going to read the first few. They're shipwrecked on this island. We got to know what happens, right? 
They're shipwrecked on this island, and this is what happens. Chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw this—sorry, I'm laughing because this is just ridiculous. Like, you just survived all this stuff, and this viper now is going to kill you. Uh, When the islanders saw this snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, the man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. I mean, how, like, you can't even write this script. And then like, Paul is going through just this unimaginable storm where everyone thinks they're going to die. And I don't know, again, I, 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 I feel bad like applying this so much because this is not about us. This is about Paul and his journey and the bigger context of what God was doing through Paul in, Rome, or in, in, in Italy and all this stuff. But doesn't it feel like life is like this sometimes where we are like finally maybe get a little bit of hope in the midst of a storm? Like there's some good news. There's a little bit of a better prognosis for, for a, a diagnosis or whatever it is. There's a little bit of hope in your marriage. There's a little bit of this. And then all of a sudden a viper just grabs your hand and you're like, what the heck was I hopeful for? This is stupid. Like why am I going forward? That's what it feels like in life sometimes. But here's the interesting thing. First of all, the interesting thing is that Paul didn't die, but that's not really the miracle. The miracle is that God didn't still the storm, and because he didn't stop the storm, because he let all the stuff we just read happen, Paul now goes to the island of Malta, is considered a god, and because of his new favor that he's found— He's taken to the the, the chief's dad who is about to die from dysentery. And Paul, through the miracles that God, Jesus has granted him, heals the island's chief's dad. And then every sick person from the entire island comes to Paul in a line and Paul heals all of them. So because God did not steal the storm, an entire island of villagers got to experience the miracles and goodness of Jesus. Because he didn't stop the storm. Because God is sovereign in all things, whether we like it or not. Whether we would choose the same thing or not. Because God did not still the storm, the crew, the soldiers, the centurion got to see the goodness of God in Paul's miracles and in his proclamation of what God was going to do, the faithfulness of Paul's God and what he was doing. There was a village of Malta that got to see it, and all the 276 people who survived the shipwreck got to see Paul's promises come true and the faithfulness of God enhanced. And I can't tell you that I know how God's going to use your storms. I can't, obviously. Who am I? But you can't either. And so when you're only focusing on the fact that you are walking through the storm, you rid God of his ability to be sovereign in your life and use you in a bigger way than what you thought. In the same way, you're sitting in this room with a purpose— You might be going through a storm with a purpose. That's not to say that God caused the storm, but it is to say that God will use the storm. Does that make sense? Here's the interesting thing. Just two quick points I think is really funny. The islanders got it right. 
Paul was a murderer. If only they knew before he became a Christian, he, he's like, I'm the chief of all sinners. I used to go murder people. Like I was murdering Christians. I was trying to stop the church. I was trying to like kill everybody that I could who was a Christian. If only they knew Paul, who Paul really was. The thing they got wrong, they didn't use the term karma, but in our day and age, we like to use the term karma, whether you got people believe it or not. It's this idea of like people get what they deserve, right? So karma is defined as this. Karma is we get what we deserve, right? If we're a good person, good things are going to happen to us. If we're a bad murderer, we're going to have a viper kill us because that's what happens. You get what you deserve, right? Christianity, on the other hand, is Jesus got what we deserved, right? We don't deserve any of this. We don't even deserve to be used by God in the storm, even though it's a horrible thing for us. How humbling is that to think that God is using your circumstances to play out a bigger picture in this world because of your obedience in the midst of a hard circumstance. And that he is going to be praised. He is going to use you, meager us who don't deserve it, in a way to honor him. We get what we deserve in karma, but in Christianity, Jesus got what we deserve. I'm going to end with a story, and uh, the band can probably get ready to come out in here in a minute or two, but uh, I just wanted to end with a story. Um, there's this guy, this is not, this happened back in, in 2014, so it's not anything in the, the Middle East conflict that's happening right now. This man, Abdu, and his father were determined to keep their workshop open despite the civil war that was destroying the Syrian homeland. Abdu's mother, sister, and two younger brothers had moved to a larger city for safety when the war broke out in 2011. But he and his father had stayed behind to continue managing the shop. They were also concerned about protecting the land that had been there in their family since 1920 when their ancestors had fled from the Armenian genocide in Turkey and immigrated to Syria. When clashes between the Free Syrian Army and what would become ISIS would erupt in the neighborhood, Abdu and his father would hunker down and try to avoid getting caught in the crossfire. Still, they fully expected to keep the shop open until fighting was over. On June 1st, 2014, however, their plans for the future were shattered when members of the Islamic Front, composed of foreigners from Iraq and Turkey, surrounded Abdu and a Muslim employee on the street in the front of their shop. The the Islamic uh, extremists allowed the Muslim employee to leave, but they slid a black bag over Abdu's head, held a gun to his temple, and forced him into the vehicle. After a short drive, they dragged him into a cell where they bound his hands and legs behind his back and sedated him until he passed out. I woke up in pain and started screaming. When one of the group's leaders asked Abdu what tribe he was from, another militia member answered for him, he's not from any tribe, he's a Christian. The man, other man, enraged, said we should have killed him immediately then. The following days were the most terrifying for Abdu's life. The extremists hit his toes with a stick, cursing him and his parents. They made him face a wall while they kicked him repeatedly, calling him a Christian pig. They, they shackled him in chains and kept him in a cell filled with mice and scorpions. They ran um, all sorts of threats over him. They also asked him about other Christians and which ones had money. On the sixth day of his captivity, they called his family to ask for a ransom. Though Abdu's family was from a Christian background, they had never attended church. But since moving to the larger city, his sister began attending an evangelical church and come to faith in Christ. When the extremists called with their ransom demand, she recited part of Psalm 23 and encouraged him to remain hopeful because she and the church were praying for him. He says, I was not yet a genuine believer at that stage, Abdu said. 
And yet, throughout his ordeal with the Islamic front, he found himself repeating a prayer that he said he did not understand at the time. Lord, take me out of here, and I will become your servant, he prayed. On the evening of the 10th day of his captivity, Abdu was approached by a guard who gave him the worst news, which was, it's your time. They took off his blindfold, and for the first time, he got to see the faces of his captors. With their heads and necks wrapped in scarves, they then loaded him into a truck and drove him to a creek where they again blindfolded him and ordered him to kneel in the sand. He prayed they would do this quickly. Abdu began counting to 50 as they had demanded, expecting the sound of gunfire at any second. But when he got to 10, instead of gunshots, he heard the surprising sound of their truck driving away. In disbelief, he waited cautiously before lifting the blindfold. When he did, he saw that he was alone and was free. Abdu and his father reunited with the rest of the family, and they eventually made their way to the neighboring country, where Abdu placed his faith in Christ on October 5th, 2015, at an evangelical church. He soon came to forgive and even love his captors. I started reading the Bible, he said, reading all about God's love, and I thought maybe God's, God loves us all. I really felt I should love even my enemies who kidnapped me. God can judge them. I will love them. Their property and possessions are a total loss, but Abdu said, says he has gained something far more precious. Yes, you can lose everything, he said, but life in the Lord cannot be lost whatever happens. A group of Christian-hating extremists had driven Abdu towards something, faith in the one whose name he had claimed his whole life. And now, nothing can separate him from the love of Jesus Christ. I can't imagine that kind of storm. I, I've gone through hard storms. I can't, couldn't imagine that I would have gone through the storms I've gone through. I can't imagine some of the storms I know some of you are walking through. I can't imagine that storm. But because God didn't still that storm, because God didn't stop that from happening, Abdu's life for eternity was changed. His earthly life was allowed to go into hard things, but his eternity was completely changed because God didn't stop the storm. The same passage I read earlier, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, God says, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, do you delight in hardships? Do you delight in difficulties? Do you delight in persecutions? I can't say honestly I do. But shouldn't this challenge us to have a different perspective when we hit these things? I'm going to close in prayer by reading this, this poem. John Griefliff Whittier writes this. Here in the maddening maze of things, when tossed by storm and flood, to one fixed ground my spirit clings, I know that God is good. And if my heart and flesh are weak to bear an untried pain, the bruised reed He will not break, but strengthen and sustain. Father, would you strengthen and sustain us? God, we still do pray that you would take away the storms of the things we know, the prayer requests we ask. We still, the way you've taught us, we still pray that you would take these away from us, that you would actually take away the burdens and the pain. And if it's your will, would you do that, Lord? But we also know that if you don't, 
you are still sovereign. You are still good. And you are using us for something far greater. Would you bless these people and teach us how to live within the storms? Amen.